You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. All right, if you got a Bible, you can open up to Luke, Luke 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you put your hand up, our ushers would love to give you a Bible. So just put your hand in there and they'll get one to you. Uh, We tend to check out sometimes during announcements. The high school kid who hears the principal or whoever come on the PA and uh, some announcements are coming thinks that this is a good time to catch up with some friends, to see what you do last night, what what are you doing for lunch, whatever it is. Or maybe the church attendee who sits down and the announcement starts and they think this is a good time to find the pen, this is a good time to make sure the phone's off, slip my jacket off fix my coffee, I don't want to spill that, just totally checked out. The person on a flight, they're a frequent flyer, and so they think, I've heard the stewardess say this all before, I know she's going to tell me there's the emergency exit in case of an emergency and what to do with the mask and everything like that, and so they check out. We're going to be in a spot in scripture today, Luke 1, where an announcement takes place, but Mary, who is hearing this announcement, She's not checked out. She's checked right in. She is attentive to what is being said. And the same way that she is attentive, you and I have to be attentive. Because some very important things are said about God. And these things that are said about God will inform the way that we respond to him when he calls us to do things we're not expecting. And so in our sermon today, we're going to learn three things about God. And one way that we're supposed to respond. So let's look at Luke 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the the angel departed from her. Let's, Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, your truthful, perfect, inerrant word, Lord. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who you've given us to to rightly interpret your word, to understand what you're saying, to reveal your mind to us, Lord. And so I pray that you would do that now, that as I speak, you would help us to rightly interpret your word. 
to understand and hear what you have to say to us. And I pray, Spirit, that you would comfort, that you would convict wherever you want to. I pray you would use my feeble words, Lord, to speak to your people. Would you speak through me now? Would they hear you, Lord, and not me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's our first point today. You can write this down. God gives grace to the lowly. God gives grace to the lowly. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And so that reference there in the sixth month is talking about how far along Elizabeth was in her pregnancy. And, and Luke tells us that during this time that Gabriel shows up with an announcement. And Mary here is around 13 or 14 years old. And that was the, the time, that was the age when women in that culture got married. And that's why Luke tells us that she was betrothed. Her wedding day was set. There was a date coming up that her and Joseph would be married. Now, we don't know what she was up to when he comes. She may have been cleaning up around the house. Maybe she had some chores and she was doing some work. She may have been just kneeling, getting ready to pray and and thank God for what he's doing in her life. She may have just been sitting there and thinking what life was going to be like when her and Joseph were finally out from under their parents' roof and they were together and, and just excited about what's to come. We don't know exactly what she was doing when the angel shows up, but we do know that she wasn't from a powerful family. She wouldn't have been considered elite She was poor and uneducated. She lived in a small town that was far from the center of power in those times. It's like living in Bolton or Orangeville versus living in New York City or Los Angeles, just far from the center of power. She lived in a culture that disregarded and discounted women. She was considered lowly. Mary is even aware of this. She says this about herself in in Luke 1 is going to come up for us. Luke 1 verse 48, she says, for, for he, this God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She says he's looked on her humble estate. She is aware that she is lowly. See, God does things different than we would do things. When we're choosing people to do something, we choose the powerful, the strong. We don't choose the weak. We don't choose the poor. We don't choose people from obscure towns. But God is not like us. He is opposite from us in this. See, God could have chosen a queen. He could have chosen a woman, a a daughter from a wealthy family. But instead, we see God here choosing an, an uneducated, lowly woman to do this amazing task from this obscure town. Now that's why the Bible tells us that God's ways are not like our ways. God is different than us. He does things differently. That word favored means to be treated with kindness that is undeserved. Kindness that is undeserved. And that's what Mary is getting here. Mary experienced the kindness of God by being given the privilege of bringing the Savior into the world. That's how God was kind to her. See, Mary experienced this kindness so that one day all people would have the opportunity to experience the kindness of God. 
He's gracious and kind, and Mary is experiencing this here. See, Mary is the object of grace. She's not the source of grace. And that's why the Roman Catholic teaching about Mary and praying to her and asking her to help us and give us grace is wrong. Mary has no grace to give us. Mary needs grace just as much as we do. And this is something she is fully aware of. She says this about herself. Later in Luke 1, Luke 1 in verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She is fully aware that she needs a Savior just as much as we do. She's getting grace. She is lowly, but God is showing her kindness. He gives her this uh, grace by allowing her to bring Jesus into the world. See, Mary helps us. She helps us because she shows us that God gives grace to the lowly, and the same grace that she receives, we can receive that grace. And when you think about it, we did. When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, God was giving grace to the lowly. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. He's like, think about your life when God called you into a relationship with him. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. It's not like when you were born, people were like, Jason Blythe has come. You're not, we're not of noble birth. Joe Jason's a great guy. He is. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world. God looked at the world, at the lowly, the, the people that the world ignores, the people that the world pushes aside, and he chooses those people, low and despised in the world, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chooses the lowly. The world shoves the lowly, the poor, the marginalized into a corner. God doesn't do that. God draws them out. He speaks to their heart and says, come into a relationship with me. He wants the lowly. And that was us, the poor, because of our sin. And we have received God's grace. And so what we do now, knowing that we've received grace from God, is we thank him. We don't boast. There's nothing special about Mary. There's nothing special about us that makes it so that we deserve this. We don't boast. We simply say, thank you, God, for this undeserved kindness that you have shown to us. He gives grace to the lowly. That's how God operates. And Mary is experiencing this undeserved kindness. And when we look at our life we realize that that's what's happened to us. We've experienced the undeserved kindness of God. Here's point number two. God fulfills his promise to the waiting. God gives grace to the lowly, but he also fulfills his promise to the waiting. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so Luke tells us that Mary is troubled. It's not like angels were showing up at her house every day. And so she's like, what's going on? What's he going to say? She, she doesn't know what's going to happen next. And we've experienced this. When somebody shows up unannounced, maybe they come by your work, maybe they come by your house, and they're like, I've got something to tell you. And there's a bit of urgency in their voice. 
And because of the urgency, what happens? You get a little nervous because you're not sure what they're going to say. And you know that empty feeling that you get in your stomach? Because there's, I got to tell you something. But you're not sure, are you going to tell me good news or are you going to tell me bad news? And so you feel a little bit troubled and that's what Mary is experiencing here. And Gabriel is aware of that. And so he speaks to her in order to calm her and to give her assurance. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel tells her, Mary, you are going to be involved in the greatest event in all of history. And when we think about history, there have been some major events. Things that have happened that have been world changing. The invention of the printing press. The reformation. 9-11. The two world wars. Massive world-changing implications. And as big as those events were, none of them were as big as this event. Because with the birth of Jesus, the possibility of salvation for all people became, it became possible. That door came open that we could walk through. The opportunity for us to place our faith in Jesus for our salvation became available. We could be saved. Our Savior came to us. There's no event in all of history that has been as massive, as world-changing, as life-altering as this event. And notice he says, name him Jesus. That name means God saves, or the Lord is salvation. Jesus' name speaks of the saving work that he was coming into the world to do. He came on a mission to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came looking for us. This baby that she brought into the world was on a rescue mission for those lost in their sin. He also says he will be great. He says he will be great. And all throughout the ministry of Jesus, he was always defining for people what greatness looks like. What does it mean to be great? And, he, and Jesus is great because he's God. But Jesus is great because he also became a servant. And Jesus tells us the, the way to be great is to serve. And that's what Jesus came to do. He became a servant. He humbled himself. And this is, again, opposite than us. We don't humble ourselves often. Often we're exalting ourselves. We're looking for ways to get people to worship us and serve us. But Jesus does the opposite. He humbles himself and he leaves the exalting to God, his Father. And this is the road that he chose. And this is the road the Bible is always encouraging us to take. The Bible is always saying, pursue humility. Pursue serving. Go after that life. Pursue a humble service. That is the way to Greatness and trust that God, as we serve, as we humble ourselves, that at the proper time, he will exalt us. The reality for you and for, and for me is that when we pursue and choose humility, we can't lose. When we choose to be a humble, teachable people, we're always going to win. We can't lose with humility and a servant's heart. 
And then he says he'll be called the son of the most high. In verse 35, he'll be called the son of God. And this highlights the identity, the deity of Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. This is his eternal identity. And finally, Gabriel says God will give him the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this pronouncement connects back to uh, the promise that was made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in 2 Samuel 7, it says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is God speaking to David, and he's telling him, the son you're going to have, here's what I'm, I'm going to do with this son. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Your throne shall be established forever. And the people of Israel had been waiting on this promise for 400 years because it was not fulfilled with any of David's sons. Solomon did not fulfill this promise. But Luke says that Jesus' earthly father, his adopted father, was from the, from the house of David, which means Jesus was from the line of David. Jesus, at his birth, is beginning to fulfill this promise. See, Jesus is the son of David, the king that everyone had been waiting to come, the one who would rule forever. And Jesus is not a king who rules over his subjects like a tyrant. Jesus is a king who serves his people. He's a king who shepherds them. He is the chief shepherd. His voice is the one that we're told to listen to every day because the, where Jesus is taking us is a place that's only going to be good for us. This is a king whose rule everyone should come under. And you may be here today and you're not a believer. If we asked you, you would say, Jesus is not my king. I am not under his rule. And you might think that you're in charge. You might think you're the king of your life because we live in a culture now where we don't, we don't like the idea of somebody having authority over us. And so we're, we're convinced that we're in charge, that we are ruling and running our lives. But here's what you've got to understand, is that you're not in charge. The ruler over, if Jesus is not your king, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus for your salvation, the ruler over your life is Satan. And Satan is a tyrant. Satan doesn't love you. Satan doesn't want anything good for you. Satan wants to abuse and mishandle you. Satan is working from a place, and we learned this in our series in Revelation, he's working from a place of defeat. And so he knows he's going down, and so as his ship is sinking, he'd like to take all of us with him. And so you may think you're in charge, but you're not. You're under the rule of Satan. But here's the reality for you today. You don't have to stay under his rule. Today could be the day for you where you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you come out from under the rule of a tyrant and you go under the rule of a shepherding king who loves you, who promises to guide you and care for you all of your life. And all you have to do is believe in the gospel. Believe that we sinned against God and that that sin separated us from God. 
But that God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us. We are sent out of the garden, but he doesn't leave us there. He, he sends his son to rescue us, to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to pay our debt on the cross, to rise from the grave, proving that death was defeated, who is reigning now in heaven, and he's promising that one day he's going to come back for us and take us to be with our Father in paradise, in the place that we're supposed to be. All you've got to do is put your faith in that truth and believe that, and you will be saved, and you will have the king that you need in your life, the king who will protect you, who will shepherd you, who will guide you all of your life. Mary and many others had been waiting on God to fulfill this promise, and here we see God making good on his word. And here's another part in scripture that highlights the reality for us that God keeps his word. What he says he will do, he does it. And so God wants us to know we can trust him. That what he says he will do, he does it. And so what we need to do is memorize the promises of God. Get to know those promises and hold on to them. They will fill us with hope because we know that God is going to do what he tells us. And so God, he gives grace to the lowly because he's kind and he's generous. And God fulfills his promise. He wants us to know that we can trust him. And this one, number three, God guarantees the impossible to the hopeless. He guarantees the impossible to the hopeless. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? This here is a good and honest question. See, Mary realized that she was going to conceive a son before she was married. See, her and Joseph, they'd only made this public commitment to get married, and the wedding hadn't happened yet, and the wedding night hadn't happened yet. But Mary doesn't ask this question because she lacks faith. It's not unbelief that's driving this question. Luke is actually giving us a contrast. He's giving us a contrast of Mary's faith versus Zachariah's doubt. See, when Zechariah heard that he was going to have a son, John the Baptist, he responded with doubt. He asked a question. He says, how shall I know this? In that question, he's asking for a sign. He's asking for some kind of confirmation for him to believe what is said. But Mary, she asks a totally different question. She says, how will this be? She understood she was not married. She had not been with a man. She, she's, she's saying, how is this going to happen? She believed. She just wanted to know how. And to her good question, her honest question, she gets an honest answer. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, uh, in her old age, also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's son would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says the, the Spirit would overshadow her. It was, uh, this here speaks of 
uh, the deity of Christ again. It was his conception by the Holy Spirit that makes him the Holy Son of God. And multiple times in the text, Mary's virginity is referenced. And you might be wondering at this point, why did Jesus have to be born from a virgin? Why did he have to, why did the virgin birth have to take place? And Phil Riken gives a really good answer to this question. He says, only the virgin birth preserves the humanity and the deity of Jesus. His conception by the Spirit points to his deity. His birth from a woman points to his humanity. One person, two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And because he was conceived by a, a new, a, by unique creative act of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was not corrupted by the guilt of Adam. Fallen humanity could not produce its own savior. He had to come from somewhere outside by way of divine initiative and intervention. This is what makes the virgin birth so important for us. Because we couldn't save ourselves. Only the holy, sinless Son of God, the Savior we need, He was the only one who could save us. And He did this willingly. Jesus didn't hesitate in coming on this rescue mission. And that's why we pause at Christmas and we celebrate His birth. Because He willingly gave it all up in order to rescue us. Zechariah asked for a sign. Mary didn't, but she gets the sign. The sign was Elizabeth. She was barren all her life, and now she's six months pregnant. She probably had lost all hope of ever having a child. But here she is, pregnant. Her hope was restored. And Gabriel tells Mary this because he wants her to know the extent of God's power. He wants her to know that there's nothing that God can't do. And that's why he says, nothing will be impossible with God. If God can make babies come from a barren woman, then he also has the power and the ability to make a virgin conceive and bear a son. And here's where this is really good for us. If God can perform the miracle of the virgin birth, then God is more than able to handle the difficult situations in our life. The situations that often make us feel hopeless. This truth is meant to give us hope. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far in your sin and addiction for God to be able to change you and forgive you. You've tried to Kick the habit. But you just keep falling back into that sinful pattern again and you're starting to feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like it's impossible for all the dysfunction in your family to be worked out. Every time you look up, somebody in your extended family is at odds with one another. Maybe you feel like it's impossible for certain people in your family to be saved. They don't even want you coming to the Christmas dinner. As soon as they hear anything about Jesus, as soon as they hear anything about church, all you get is hostility coming at you from them. Maybe you feel like all your broken relationships will never be fixed. 
You keep wondering, when is it going to get right between you and your estranged kids? You've, you've apologized to them. You've asked for their forgiveness, but they, don't, they just seem like they don't want to come back towards you. Maybe you're wondering, when is it going to get right between you and that church member? You keep checking with them, asking them, hey, are we good? Are we good? And they're like, yeah, we're good. But every time you turn your back, you're hearing something totally different. And it's starting to feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like it's impossible for your marriage to be restored to a healthy place. There's so much anger and frustration between you. And you're just, you're just thinking, it's been going on for so long. I'm not even sure if I want to put the effort in to try to get this right, to make it, to fix it. Maybe you feel like you can't get your financial situation in order. One month things look good. You know, things are going well. And then the next month you're in the mess again. And the impulsive spending, you feel like you just can't get a handle on that. And before you know it, you're feeling broken. You're wondering, do we need to go over to that payday loan spot? Maybe you feel like it's impossible for you to endure the pain that God has brought into your life. The loneliness feels like it's too much. The health scare feels like it's too much. The door that you've been waiting on and waiting on to come open. And it just doesn't feel like that door is ever going to come open for you to go into that thing that you really want to be doing. And it just feels like I can't bear the waiting on this. It's starting to feel hopeless. It feels like it's impossible to endure and it's impossible to be fixed. Well, here the Bible is telling us that nothing is impossible with God, that he can handle anything. There is no sinful addict that God can't change and forgive. There's no broken relationship that God can't fix. There's no problem that God can't sort out. There's no pain and grief that God can't comfort. All of these things he can handle. Nothing is impossible with God. And I know that phrase gets thrown around a lot in church circles. Nothing's impossible with God. And it gets thrown around a ton, and we just start to think of it as just another cliche. Nothing's impossible with God. Thanks for telling me that. And we just move on. But just because that gets thrown at us sometimes when the people who are standing in front of us don't know exactly what to say as they think about the current struggle that we're going through, just because it gets thrown around like a cliche, don't let the truth of what is being said lose its weight in your situation. That nothing is impossible with God. Don't sweep it off as just another cliche that we say that has no weight and meaning. It has tons of weight, tons of meaning to our life that nothing is impossible with God, that he can handle anything that we are going through. And so what we need to do is we need to let the weight of this truth sink into our minds, sink into our situation. Because when we do that, when we, when we believe that, when we internalize that truth, what we will do is we will go to God with the things that are feeling hopeless. We will go to him in prayer. We will invite him in. We will do what Peter says. We will cast our cares on him. And why will we do that? Because of this part of the verse, because he cares for us. We bring it to him because he cares, and we bring it to him because the Bible is telling us 
it's not impossible for him to sort it out. He's the God of the virgin birth, and through prayer we invite him into our situation. He can work miracles. And so if all of this is true, that God is gracious and kind to the lowly, that he fulfills his promise, that he can handle everything, is if, if all of that being true, how do we respond to him then? Well, here's our fourth point. We submit to God's plan without seeing. We respond by submitting to his plan for us, though we won't always see everything that is up ahead. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Mary is living the verse right in front of us. She doesn't fully know what is in store for her. But she says, I'm a servant of the Lord. All of what is happening in front of her, the angel visits, the announcement, all of those things probably aren't fully making sense to her. But she says, I will follow. See, Mary here takes God at his word. And we're supposed to take God at his word. This is the response of a true disciple. Mary's world is going to be turned upside down. Everything for her is about to change. And she doesn't know what the future holds. She doesn't know if Joseph's going to stay with her. She's talking to Gabriel. She hasn't talked to Joseph yet. She's not aware if he's going to stay with her or if he's going to leave. She is not sure if her reputation is going to hold up. She doesn't know if her good reputation is going to be lost because now she's walking around pregnant, but she's not married yet. She doesn't know that she was going to, they were going to have to hide in Egypt because an evil king would want to destroy her son. She's not aware of any of that. She is not aware of the controversy that will surround Jesus. She is not even aware of the level of pain that she was going to feel in her heart as she watched her son hang on the cross, dying for our sins. She's not aware of any of that. But she responds with faith. All the uncertainties, all the potential disasters doesn't cause her to hesitate. She is willingly following God's plan. This is what it means to submit without seeing. Mary has to trust God with her reputation. She has to trust God with her relationship with Joseph. She has to trust God with the pain that is going to come into her life. She's submitting. But here's the thing. This isn't blind obedience. Mary's not submitting in blind obedience. This is theologically informed obedience. She called God Lord. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord. And she understands who's in charge. She understands that, that God is our creator and our king. And that when he calls us to something, we are called to submit and to trust because he is in charge. It's hard to find people like this. 
It's hard to find people like Mary who obey God and submit to him without hesitation. Some of the best leaders in the Bible hesitated. They tried hard to get out of what God was calling them to do. Jeremiah, he's like, I'm too young. The preaching ministry, it sounds like it's going to be hard. People are going to hate me for what I'm going to say. And I just don't think you should send me. Find somebody older with a little bit more wisdom, with a little bit more frosting on the top of the head. Send them. Don't send me. Gideon, he's like, I'm the weakest in my family. Don't send me. I don't want to go. Find somebody stronger. Moses circled the wagons a bunch of times. I can't talk. I don't think it's a good idea. Don't send me. They hesitated because they forgot that the God of the impossible was going to be with them in what he was calling them to do. Mary didn't hesitate. She responds here with faith. See, Luke, he's putting her character on display for us. And though the Catholic Church goes too far in their worship of Mary, we shouldn't go so far to just sweep her away either. Because she is one of the strong women in the Bible. She is a strong woman that is being held up as an example for all people of what it means to submit to God, to trust his plan for your life, to believe that he knows best, that he knows what he is doing. She models submission for us. See, it's good for us to plan our life, to set goals, There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But we have to understand and know that the plan that we have for our life might be very different than the plan God has for us. That what I'm thinking my life is going to look like may be very different than what God has in store. But here's what we need to know in that. Is that God, though, only means good for us in what he calls us to. He may radically change our lives and take us in a different direction, but he means that for our good to make us like Jesus. Do you know that that's God's primary aim in your life? To make you like Jesus for our good, for the good of others, and for his glory. And so the question for us is, when God brings those unexpected things into our life, will we submit? Will we trust him? Will we trust him with the details? Or will we let the uncertainties stop us from moving forward by faith? If we can't submit, then we can't say like Mary, I am the Lord's servant. All of us need to be prepared for the unexpected places that God may lead us. But we need to know that he is with us in it as he leads us. We need to be ready to submit without seeing. Because the one we are submitting to can do anything. And he loves us more than we know. And so Gabriel comes with a surprising announcement to Mary. Her life is radically changed from this point forward. 
And though she couldn't see how everything would play out, she submits in faith. And the way she responds is the way we are called to respond to God's plan for us. We don't know everything God is going to do with us today. We don't know everything God is going to do with us in the future. But here's what we do know. We do know that God is gracious and kind. And we know that because all of us, when we stop, when we, when we get out of these chairs and, and get home, when we sit and we reflect, we can all hit on a number of things that has just been God's grace to us. Our salvation and many other things. He has been gracious and kind to us. We also know that he fulfills his promise. We can all look at different things that God promised to do for us. And he has done those things. And yes, we're waiting on some other things for sure. But we know that he is faithful to his promise. And we also know that he can do the impossible. Because if you're in here and you are saved, then you have believed in the virgin birth. And that looked impossible, but God did that. And so we know he can handle anything. And we also know that he will lead us the same way he led Mary. He will lead us for all of our life into those hard things, those things that we're not expecting, those life-changing things. He will be with us in them. And so our response should be faith, trusting God with the details, Believing that God knows best. Looking to the word and seeing how good God has been to his people across scripture. And knowing that he's only going to continue to be good to us. Let's pray. And so Father, I pray that all of us, Lord, in here would would have faith in you. Lord, that we would trust you with the details of our life. God, we would know and remember that you are gracious, you are kind. Lord, that you fulfill your promise, that you you can do anything, that you are our champion, that you are our chief, that you are in charge, and that the things you call us into, God, are only going to be for our good. And Father, I pray for the person who isn't saved, that they would not miss the announcement, the the, the birth of your son, and that they would place their faith in Jesus for their salvation. And for those of us, Lord, in the room who are saved, Lord, that we would only have faith that is increasing in you. God, that we would submit to your plan for us without seeing everything, knowing, God, that you are good that you are leading us, that you are faithful to your promise. God, thank you that we can pray to you. God, thank you for your goodness to us. God, we can pray to you because of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for him, I pray. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.